<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake stand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. It's the new Bible. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before. You... Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. Is it worth the wait? Agreement, our podcast. It's our podcast with me, Catherine. And me, Michelle. And every podcast, which is generally most fortnights, we bring you three things. What are those things, Michelle? Those things are a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing. And what do we do with them? <laughs> I don't know why I got confused. <laughs> um, no, we try. We I, try. I had to explain the look on Catherine, like, just got this distant, like, what do we do with them? Like it was like a real, you mean like, like you mean like where do they go when they die? I just got really real like, existential. existential. Yeah. Like I mean, in theory, on a base level, we put them together into a fortune cookie. But like, but what, what does that, does that mean? do? What does it do in the world? What do we do with, with them, them? <laughs> relationally? Yeah. So yeah, that's where I'm at today. Cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> so yes, we put them all together into our fortune cookies. I don't know. You'll never know what you're going to get. We don't know what you're going to get. It's a surprise. That's why this is. We we bring these three things and we don't talk about this beforehand. I think at this point, as we have already bragged, I we have created a podcast machine that entertains us. Um, it's not too much work. I don't know about you, Michelle. I tend to wake up the morning of the podcast and that's when I do everything. <laughs> I collect stuff um, throughout. Like I kind of keep like a little running list. It. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I but was then, reading my research article as you logged in today. So yeah. Yeah. So we don't know what we're bringing for each other, but often we don't know what we're bringing for ourselves. It's, it's all so, a ride. Yeah. Um. And neither of us did extemporaneous speaking in high school. So, wow. So we're totally unprepared Ells- for this. Did Ellsbury High School have like well, an extemp yeah, speaking team? I mean, there it wasn't part. So for me, I couldn't participate in hardly any extracurriculars because I lived so far away. I would have no way to get home. So like, if it wasn't during the regular school day, I was like, nope, you don't get to do that. All this to say, I did learn the other day that my Catholic acting the catholic like interscholastic speech league or whatever that was a part of 
um, in St. Louis competed at some point while I was in it, not to brag, but I often won best do it acting or placed into it acting. Peter Evans went to high school in St. Louis around the same time and did compete in the same league. So I think theoretically I've competed against and beaten Peter Evans in acting. That's pretty awesome. Sure. But timeline wise. Yes. I am a better actor than Peter. (laughs) Through logical timeline application. You have acting cred. His high school, which he went to at the same time, uh, was in our league. So there you go. Yes, this is the head bob you do when you have a special. <laughs> the worst. I'm going to do a lot of editing. This is some of the worst episodes to live to live for <laughs> to listen to. Don't live for this. If you live for this episode, don't. Just don't. Just don't. live for something else. All right, so my weird thing was going to be my research thing, and then I started to research it, and there wasn't much there, so it became a weird thing instead. Um, so I went to the Cirque du Soleil, um, the Christmas special at the Fox, which is not my thing, which might surprise you, because as some of you may know what? from early Angriement days, the circus is my thing, but I need like a seedy, rugged questionable like the Cirque du Soleil part of the circus is not what attracts me to the circus not to say that the people are not incredibly talented not to say that you know I like I appreciate their craft and what they do but when I say that I like the circus that's not what I have in mind when I'm talking about it right so but we have season tickets because that's all my daughter wanted um for like every holiday and so I I got them and now we go see things that we wouldn't normally have seen including the Cirque du Soleil Christmas special and we forgot that we had the tickets to it until my calendar popped up because I thought we were done until December but it was like the last week of November and so like my phone just made a noise and I was like what is oh we have to leave right now it was very (laughs) stressful You're just like go go go, and then you oh, have to go watch like, which is a pretty overwhelming display of a lot of shiny it shiny squirrel, was, squirrel squirrel. And it was kids' night, so there was lots of like they handed out these like flashing like necklaces to. Oh. It was a very sensory stimulating experience, um, but it was it was I, extremely cute, and they were very very talented. Um, but one of Have the- I told you oh. my only experience with Cirque du Soleil? No. Do you know that? No. I might have told you before, but um, I did not have like a bachelorette party proper because I didn't really want one. And I, my aunts, my mother and some of my aunts took me to Las Vegas. And I thought this was the trip that they were all taking and I got to go along on a few months before my wedding. But no, it turns out that was my bachelorette party. Which was really nice. That um, is really nice. My bachelorette party was with my mother and my aunts in Las Vegas. And they, the hotel we were in came with free tickets to a Cirque du Soleil show. And so they're like, you choose which one you want to do. And there was one called like Zoophoria or Zootopia or something like with zoo or. And I'm like, well, that's about animals. That'll be cool. And it wasn't. It was the Cirque du Soleil sex one. 
like their adult oh. sex world, which fitting for a bachelorette party but, but not with your aunts and mom it was the first <laughs> at first when we the first 10 minutes we realized what was happening we all were very stiff and like oh no and then you just loosened into it like, and hey, it we're here the best we're yeah <laughs> Yep, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna watch simulated sex with my aunties for the next 50 minutes. Artistic simulated sex, but still. Why is so, yeah. it called that? I it did not sound anything like an adult. It was the adult search display, and there was no warning anywhere until you got in there. Uh, it, it was, was great. Not, it was, it not, was kids night. not kids' night. Opposite of kids' night. That's hilarious. Yep. There were so no sorry. Go on. There, there were yes. no simulated sex acts in my right. experience. Right. <laughs> but there was an act where there was lots of aerial acts because you know that's that's a big thing for them. And there was one where a woman appeared to be hanging from her hair. And I was like, how is she I, like how is she doing this? I'm like, it must be some kind of invisible brace that's like around her waist, but she's so she's able to move so freely that I don't understand the mechanics of it. And I was like, I'm gonna look this up. Like this is, this is I'm very curious as to how she's hanging by her hair or how they make it. I assumed it was an illusion, so I'm like, I'm gonna. I'm very curious as to how they made it look like she was hanging by her hair. So I w- was gonna make that my research thing, except for it was very short because the answer is she was hanging by her hair. And oh, congrats to her. Yeah. So um, I can't. Don't you you love it when the answer is just like, no, they're very talented. No gimmick, just talent. They're just doing that. So um, there is there's a history of hair hanging um, that you could trace it back to at least 1916. There was a Mexican family, the the Ayala's. There are one of the only families. they, they still perform. Their family passes it down from generation to generation. I do not know if the performer I saw was a member of that family or not, but there's only, they said, about a dozen hair-hanging families in the world. Um, so there's it's a pretty well-kept process and secret. Um, and the thing that makes it a secret is that the, the hair is braided in a particular way around Ooh. a metal hoop. And so it is the actual braiding process that is like, you know, trade secret not released and families have to develop their own and then pass it down generation to generation which that's the part of the circus i like like a secret technique exactly. passed down from family member to family member like that that's that's what i go to the circus for um which i mean i guess i got it circus slip but i didn't know i was getting it until i went and did research later you so. want to know yeah yeah so um yeah it is apparently incredibly painful at least at first because if you imagine what it would feel like to have all of your hair pulled as you're hanging from the ceiling, they're like, yeah, that's what it feels like. That's what all the people who do it say. Mm. Um, but it the braid, it has to be braided in such a way that the it is equally distributed across because otherwise chunks of your hair will work out. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, they also have to do a lot to prep their hair itself. Like they have to keep their hair very well conditioned. Um, like one... Of the people, Anastasia, the fourth, detailed her hair care plans in 2014. She said that she conditions her waist length hair five times a day while she's touring because it has to stay like well moisturized and flexible and she can't blow dry it. She can't color it. um, And conditioner is applied directly before a performance and the hair is fully wetted down to provide extra strength. And she takes hair vitamins and there's all these like different like lotions and things they put on their hair to keep it strong and flexible because if it gets brittle, it will break and then 
they could and kill you yeah because yeah. of course my immediate thought was that the special braiding technique makes it not hurt but no it just makes it to where you don't die and they say that you get used to it eventually i don't know that seems like is that just the kind of thing you have to tell yourself what is pain but and i wonder like i also think about like your body changes over time so if you gained any weight or you know like even just had like a oh, different man. composition is i don't know i mean i guess that's true and what for happens all athletes when you get, but like do they have to right with and speaking of athletes do they have to stop at a certain age because i don't know about you i have a lot of white hair and yeah, it's a different texture it's totally like, it's, it's just, it's brittle and it's way yeah. harder to moisturize yeah also i wonder how much of that is genetics of like they have great hair and like the family passes that down as well like bad hair and they're like you can't do it it's like in geek love where she was born without any yeah like that's the marketable shell likes geek love circus 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 we love oh that fuck that's so cool wow i think my favorite part of that is that you were ready for some deep research and it's like just know she's doing it yeah and i was like oh well okay then (laughs) (laughs) guess that explains why i couldn't figure it out also definitely want to know what those hair pills are she right. needs to partner up and like sell their own hair pills because i would buy those in a heartbeat oh man oh well there's my weird thing cool well my weird thing i have a real weird thing but my first weird thing that i just have to share because <laughs> it's so stupid i was in the doctor's office yesterday and i just started cackling and the doctor had to stop me and go, no, this is serious. This is very real. It's okay. And I just started cackling, cackling at my doctor. Um, <laughs> I'm still going to crack up. Uh, I had some health problems, and including having like two seizures. And as you know, Michelle, and so I ended up going to a cardiologist about this. And um, it turns out I'm really happy because I figured out why. They were able to tell me why I'm having... Um, And before I had these seizures, I was having about a year and a half of where I would just get like tunnel vision and feel like I was about to pass out. Have you ever passed out? No. Well, okay. Once in a car accident when I got hit very hard in the head, not quite the same thing. Yeah. It's it's such a specific thing to just like pass out. Lose consciousness. It's hard to know what it is if you haven't done it, but like the period right before you know you're going to pass out, I would for almost a year and a half, once or twice a month, get to that period but then not pass out. And I just keep going for like 20 minutes and it gets worse and worse. Cause like I'd lose cognitive things. I'd be in the grocery store and I wouldn't be able to read, read like words. I couldn't identify different fruits. It just was messing me up. And remember for those of you listening at home, this is going to end with Catherine cackling at her doctor. Oh yeah. This is a funny story. Um, <laughs> but like, it's very disconcerting. I like that my doctor was like, yeah, I can see why the cognitive stuff, especially as you're an academic is concerning for you. I would end up having to go to You're not an academic. Who needs, who needs the cognitive needs a brain? I did like, I appreciated that, but immediately I thought I was like, oh, so if I was just like, what? Like, I don't know, some other profession, you'd be like, it's fine, dumb, dumb. Yeah. You don't don't need to think, just get out there and work. Yeah. Just don't. (laughs) Sorry. So it turns out that I had my seizure. Um, so over that year and a half, I got very good at ignoring this about to pass out and finding through it. 
And it turns out that if your body is trying to pass out, there's usually a reason for it, a very oh, good reason. Yeah. yeah. And and so I had the seizure because my body apparently was just tired of it. And it was just like, you get on the ground. Fuck you. And it is. Listen to you, our warning signs. Get down. And it is. It has to do with blood pressure. It has to do with blood flow. There's two kinds of ways you have a seizure. And one is you lose oxygen to your brain. The other one is that you have an overactivity of brain activity. And mine's my brain loses oxygen. And it's because my body is trying to make me pass out. And if you fight it, you can have a seizure. So don't. If you feel like you're going to pass out, just, just lay down. Just, just have ahead. a lay down. Um, and so I got an echocardiogram. I got a ton of EKGs. They did a tilt, a table tilt test where they basically strap you into a table and you go, and you slide all around. You just, you're strapped into a table, like a little circus ride. Um, and what they found out is that I have, I'm going to tell you the very official name for it before my doctor told me what it was. And I cackled at him. I have, um, dysautonomia. And more specifically, within dysautonomia is a big range of things. I have orthostatic intolerance. Orthostatic intolerance means I don't stand up good. My body, <laughs> my doctor said, what that basically means is your body is intolerant to standing up. <laughs> and this is the point, this cackling like you're doing, or I'll be the doctor. No, 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 no. It's actually, no, it's a very real problem. It's not very common, but it like, it can affect people's lives. You have a mild version of it, but there are people that are bed bound. And did you know that humans are one of the only animals that can go from a prone to standing position? So it's a very uniquely human problem and it is serious. And then he started talking about astronauts and beanbags. I just so wait, couldn't does, does stop laughing. You would, would you be a better astronaut? No, I'd be a terrible okay. astronaut. I'd be <laughs> okay. the worst astronaut. <laughs> I would die. I thought maybe um, like if there wasn't, you know, like if you just, you're just floating, you're just a blob. Like, no, no. So okay. this is not my official weird thing, but I just think it's so funny and weird that this week I was officially diagnosed with don't stand up good, intolerance to standing up, um, and I don't have enough blood. My blood volume is too low. And officially what it is, is that I have dangerously low blood pressure. You do and, have very um, low blo blood pressure when you were like- yeah. Yeah. It's moved into the zone of dangerously low. And the doctor's like, well, you have to eat a lot of salt and drink a lot of water, which anyone that knows me knows I already do that. I put salt on everything. Don't you sometimes drink just it. drink salt water? <laughs> like yes, yes, I do. Yes. Okay. I do. Yes. And I love pickle juice. I love drinking pickle juice. Yes. Building up my, I have to raise my blood pressure. And I'm such an anxious, stressed out person. I was going to say, like. That my anxiety and stress is not counteracting it. Like, do we sort of like least. jump scare you all the time? Like, because you would become immune all to it time. pretty quickly, right? Like, would, you'd have yeah. novel jump scares all the time. Like, we we need to, those of us okay, who everyone love Catherine, in my life, yeah, we need to like, working on that. Start, you know, like people do like the casserole chain, like, we'll just have a, a novel jump scare plan for you. I'm sure that one. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, the prayer tree that yeah. you would get those calls. The only risk of this disease that I now have is falling down and hitting my head. It's just. Okay. It's just um, problems from the fall. That's all. Everything else, totally fine. So we just so, need to like constantly jump scare you and keep you in a rubber room and you'll be fine. Yes, I'll be totally fine. And <laughs> let me let me drink salty ocean water all day long. 
<laughs> no, my doctor was like, you need to stop having a low sodium diet. I was like, I do not, sir. I do not. I have a high um, sodium I'm, I'm, diet. I'm now taking salt pills and I'm taking pills. Salt that, pills? Um, yeah, just sodium tablets I have to take because I can't get enough salt. Are they just um, literally compressed salt? It's sodium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of am like, they're cheaper than Maldon salt flakes. So I guess that's okay. <laughs> and there's another drug. It's like a form of a steroid that just keeps, um, it makes you retain water and salt. So I don't lose them as fast. So yeah. But anyway, that's, that's just the, yeah. Anyway, I'm so glad. Don't... I also I want to let you all know how serious we are about keeping these things a secret from each other because I've been very worried about Catherine, who apparently knew she was fine and didn't tell me until just now for this to show. To be fair, this is not my weird thing, and I learned about this yesterday. Okay, and I knew right. I would talk to you today. Okay, yeah, my parents. <laughs> I haven't even told my parents. I'll tell them before this podcast. I was going to say okay. if this airs and you oh, haven't they told will them. Be pissed. <laughs> Because I had the seizure in front of my mother, and that was yeah. And then had to get on a plane. Anyway, my actual weird thing. So I'm glad we can laugh because my weird thing is uh, just a horrible. Because now we're gonna cry. The future is now hellscape, and what I want to do is I'm gonna send you a YouTube link. So what you're hearing, the sound that we're about to hear, is not dubbed over this clip. It is the sound that's playing in the room. Okay, so the people who are there. All right, so I'm hearing op- this. I'm opening it now. I am seeing, a, it looks like a panel of people sitting in some chairs, at like a conference stage. Okay, okay so what are you seeing? I, yes, conference stage, people in suits and dark dresses in front of a Dawn of the Super Soldier. With a individual dressed from head to toe in like high tech camo gear holding what looks like a high powerful gun of some sort. And the song we're hearing is by the indie band Grizzly Bear, which is very nostalgic for me. Okay, we can stop it now. And I just wanted everyone to be familiar with how this started because it is so wild to me that this is a real panel and this panel which started with music before like as people are taking their seats this nice little grizzly bear song is called black swan dawn of the super soldiers and it was a talk a very real talk that happened at the inter-service industry training simulation and education conference which is an annual conference where military leaders come to talk shop and simulations and um, corporations can demo new military grade products they want the military industrial complex to buy. And so this panel, which I think is over an hour and a half, I watched the whole thing in horror, um, is about the possibility of super soldiers, bionic soldiers, and how they're already pretty much a real thing that is happening. And so speakers on the panel included Lauren Reinerman Jones, who's an analyst from Defense Acquisition University, which I also learned about because of this. I didn't know Defense Acquisition University was a university. Um, And then there was also the U.S. Army Developmental Command Representative George Matuk, 
Erwin Hudson, who's a research scientist, J.J. Walcott, also a research scientist, and Richard McKinley, who works on, quote, non-invasive brain stimulation for the Air Force. So that's the panel. And some of the slides were titled things like, how do you make a living weapon? Here is just some of the tech being developed to create the first generation of true super soldiers. Enhanced limbs, exoskeleton legs, synthetic blood. They would not shut up about synthetic blood. They're very excited about synthetic blood. Apparently this synthetic blood already exists and has been tested. And the main reason, why do you think they want synthetic blood for the military? I don't know for the yeah I'm like why do you need synthetic blood I my assumption would be real like, blood as it is being lost. lost yeah exactly that was my thought would be yeah to like help people get more blood and to maintain health but no it would help them stay underwater for hours and hours and they're like they're doing testing with synthetic blood that is allowing military people to stay underwater for up to four hours yeah um pain immunity and under pain immunity they said darpa's persistence in combat initiative would allow soldiers to have their pain suppressed for 30 days what the fuck does that mean right not no pain but suppressed suppressed. like pain is important like pain serves a biological function for keeping you alive and what does like, that mean? Like people who have later? the inability to feel pain, like are in trouble. Like that's a that's a disease. We 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 are concerned about that. That's not something we want to make happen to our bodies. Yes. Well, apparently it is something we want to harness for military purposes. Um, and I just I get horrified for thirty days, and then after the thirty days, they have to feel all the pain. I don't know. Bionic eyes, brain microchips, super hearing health implants those are the various things and i cannot describe the level of just dystopic horror this panel gave me especially as academic we've both been to academic conferences um we've both been to a lot of different conferences and this echoed any conference you and i might be at in like very banal ways But then was talking about this and it was just so weird. Everyone was so casual. Um, They were laughing, telling jokes. Someone just kept bitching about their slides not being right. But I don't really know what to say about this because it just horrified me so much. The other thing that was really scary was clearly all of these people are working on these technologies, but out in the world now, like a super soldier isn't really considered an ethical thing. And I, I'll now show you, Michelle, the, the slide they had for their their ethics. Here's their very important ethical slide when they got into morality of super soldiers. Just because we can, way more dots than an ellipsis should have. Way more dots again. Should we? Yeah, and I just... like the openness of this. Because it says ethical boundaries just because we can. Should we? And I should got we, to should feel we make like, ethical like, boundaries? Should we have ethical boundaries? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just because we can have ethical boundaries, should we? But the way they got around this, um, very clearly, the U.S. military is making super soldiers and testing this out already. This is happening. But very clearly, the way they got around 
the ethics of that was they kept saying our enemies are doing X, Y, and Z. They're already doing this. And so there's some straw man other in another place, super soldier that we have to respond to. Okay, so that is disturbing enough as a response to the ethical qualms of creating a super soldier. But what about the ethical things about what we're doing to these individual people? Like we're just saying this. The way they handled that was the moderator said, who in this room wouldn't want to be made a super soldier because you're just a better person me me i don't want to be a super soldier and she said raise your hand if you would want to be a super soldier and like two people raised their hand because why would you raise your hand and then she said the rhetoric of this was fascinating well i know all of you even if you didn't raise your hand you're thinking it and you would like to and so then that was answered it was just answered it was just being sold as this is they almost sold it as it's unethical. Like if we can make people better in this way, it's unethical not to. It that's was a, that's a horrifying. Mm. I mean, not that I don't have concerns about how this will happen for the state of war, um, but you can hear in that argument that you just said that that is more about a mainstreaming of modification. To everyone and i just these are are, what also horrified me was some of the things they were talking about are already on a consumer market and i've been advertised them and so i've just gotten instagram ads for some of these things that i thought were total shams that couldn't work and then i saw them talk about it here so one of the things is um helping with concentration and focus and mood elevation so that they can have people this was, they were doing it more for people who were going to be um, involved in drone wars, that people had to sit at a computer for like hours and hours and hours and hours and stay focused. Um, and how can we make them happy and focused? And it was this little thing that issued electronic pulses. And I have been advertised those, and Emily's like, what is this? Anti-anxiety, feel better. And when I look into it, it is just something that you deliver a small electrical simulation to stimulation to yourself. And I've joked that it's like, oh, it's just a it's a mini electroshock therapy that you right? can do at but, home. But that's what but it, it really is. is. But that and makes me think of. Us. Do you remember the previous agreement? I think it was yours that was about the um, the glasses that stopped working because they didn't have the software update. Right, like, right. All of this what makes happens like if we do all this and then don't take care of it and maintain it in people's bodies. All right, I'm looking at a slide that has a terrifying looking soldier that says bioweapon soldiers across the top, and it has a little like virus inset over top of him or her or them. And then it says enhanced soldiers would be reduced to bionic men who run fast, do not need sleep, eat and drink very little, and can fight all the time. A new species is born, Homo robocopus. Yep. And then some of the things that Homo robocopus can do. Man-made viruses could also be programmed and unleashed in future wars. That's horrifying. Body flooded with pain-numbing stimulants. That's the one that really got me. One of the little arrows on them is body is flooded with pain-numbing stimulants. So they are just electroshock therapying these guys to the neck flooding them with various stimulants get out there it's just oh it's so horrifying and it was just the most banal 
conference panel. It looked like any conference panel you and I have been to, and yet it was just the fall of mankind. They they discuss like what happens if they gain more power than us, and how do we um, exterminate all the super soldiers if we have to? Like they they talked about everything. That I have nothing more to say, but it was just wild. And I will link to the the full YouTube link of the full conference. It's an hour and a half. But if you want to maintain any sort of a holiday cheer or hope in humanity, I would say don't watch it. This is not don't don't put it on for the Christmas <laughs> after dinner. Said, let me pitch this. Um, instead of the Yule log on Netflix this year, just put this on in the background. <laughs> Got cheery music at least. They won't notice for a little while. Oh my god! Yeah. Just that this starts with that grizzly bear song was so weird. Anyway, that's my weird thing. That that's is it. a weird thing that's horrifying mm-hmm. not even <laughs> you're gonna we're gonna move in a very different direction let's <laughs> i hope so <laughs> on to pop culture um i'm going to not talk even though this is a talking based medium and i'm going to show Catherine a video yay this is my pop culture thing (gasps) have you seen this no (laughs) no what's about to happen i'm excited good morning ladies and gentlemen a very warm welcome to day three of crufts 2023 super saturday international day here at the world's this greatest is a big stadium show. and what a day we've got for you stadium. here in the main arena it is now time to turn our attention though to the heel work to music and today it is our international freestyle heel work to music we've had heel work to music competitions running every day at crufts Thursday, I don't know what your works to music today, is, but I'm so and excited and I think it involves dogs. Competition. <laughs> so we're going to be enjoying 13 different routines by 13 different international handlers. Our judges are going to be looking for the overall content and flow of the routine, also looking at the accuracy and the performance. They're also going to be judging the musical interpretation as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you love dancing dogs, you are in I do. for a treat. Because <laughs> I do love dancing dogs. level of heel work to music. With it being the freestyle competition, it means that the handlers are free to put the routine together themselves and use props and do all sorts of different moves and tricks that they want to props. do. So, are we ready for some heel work to music, ladies and gentlemen? Of course we are. Please welcome your judges, first of all. All right, we're going to skip the judges. Yeah, I don't care. I want to see. Beg very well, and because they're so small, they can jump on the handler's back and things like that. And so that's what you're trying to do when you construct these routines. You're trying to basically take the things your dog likes to do, and then you've got to put it to music. And that's... Areas, one I feel like the that's other. a good lesson for life. Take <laughs> the things you like to do and put it to put them music. to music. All right, here, here is. Oh, this is the cutest dog I've ever seen. And this okay. is Toto. Uh, Toto. Connie, her handler, and they're going to be performing to concerning hobbits. <gasps> the oh, prop. The prop star. is a little log that Toto is hiding in. <gasps>
Why am I crying? <laughs> Catherine is legitimately in tears. I'm actually crying at this. Super soldiers and his little dog having so much fun with his log. I think it's the emotional whiplash. I can't do this. This is so sweet. <sighs> Oh god, it's so sweet. This is so nice. Oh no. They're hopping together in a hobbit leg. <laughs> Make what your dog likes to do and set it and to music. Set it to music. I also really like this one. Oh! Sure. You pulled something out of the prop. That was very exciting. All right. And, uh, okay. Different flavor. Begging. This is Navy, a border collie. Oh, border collies! They can this do has anything. Been a big dream of this team to come here and perform. This was their dream. So we wish them well. Oh, I love this song. This is Mona Skeen's cover of this song. This is everything I want in life and culture. This is very cool. They're the bad boy team. Oh, he went backwards so fast. Oh, God. He's so good. Oh, he's, oh my gosh. Sideways. I love that the audience was clearly impressed there. It takes a lot to impress this audience. Yeah, but that sideways little. Ooh. I have full Doesn't he just look bumps. so happy? So happy. This is what he loves. This is his dream. I just also love that it seems the trainers don't have much dancing skill, but they don't need it. They're dog trainers. <laughs> oh, this is my oh, pop Michelle. culture thing. Pop culture thing Thank is that you. he'll work to music, which I love that we have to give it this term. Like, I'm like, this is dog dancing, sir. Like, <laughs> can it just be doggy dancing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, he'll like we don't feel work to music. Also, after I saw this and had already decided that it was going to be my weird thing, I logged on to Hulu to rewatch Buffy the Vampire Slayer because that's all I can do with my life is just continue to rewatch the same show I've seen seven times. I can't handle new information. And um, I saw that there is a show. Let me let me get the title of it right. About dancing dogs that follows them it's a docu-series i have not seen it so i cannot i am going to watch it as soon as i have finished all of my semester grading and can handle new information again um but it is called the secret life of dancing dogs it is a abc news studios docu-series that is available on hulu and i'm going to read the description to you 
This six-part docuseries follows handlers as they each prepare a dog-human dance duet worthy to compete at the world-famous Crufts 2023 in England. So if you would like an inside perspective on the upcoming heel work to music experience, the, the first one says team still real from last year's competition. Should Jen and Daiquiri have triumphed or were Marianne and Vega worthy winners? Old wounds remain. So there's going to be some drama. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I love it. Okay. I think that's officially the first time I've cried on the podcast. I so. think it is. And we've talked about Good some job. pretty heavy hitting things. Yeah. yeah. No, we get quiet and depressed, but not. Um... <laughs> we keep it on the inside. <laughs> oh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you. I need, I clearly, clearly something deep inside me needed that. <sighs> okay. Well, I feel like my pop culture dovetails pretty nicely into that in that mine is about you I was gonna say you've talked about it on the podcast before but now we kind of just talked about it like witnessing people who are very good at what they do this is in a very different way than dog dancing who was the musician you talked about that with John uh oh um um the guy who does freedom John Baptiste John Baptiste just had a good house tour on Architectural Digest. Oh, really? YouTube, yes. Um, so you talked about, especially with John Baptiste, that just when people are doing what they're meant to be doing and they're so good at it. And my favorite thing is when I witness people do things and they're, how do I describe this? I don't know if I can put this into words well. Where I like to think through things. I like to think through puzzles, think through scenarios. Like, what would I do? How would I do this? I like to do creative thinking, creative work. But like when you see people who just think on a different level than I could never do that. And nine times out of 10, I find out when I experience that and hear that, that this person has won a MacArthur grant. So I just love MacArthur winners too. MacArthur, so combined... like if you go and look through the MacArthur grant list, it is just such a fascinating lens on humanity. It's like, it just gives you hope. It makes you feel yes. like there's so much possibility and not super soldiers possibility. Like, yeah. Perfect antidote then. then. So I was listening to an NPR story last week and I will link to the whole interview with this person but by the end of it when they said oh it's macarthur award winner i was not surprised basically this is about a playwright named larissa fast horse and that's my pop culture i just want to talk about her because she is one of these people one macarthur grant just so good at what she does and just the way she thinks i love it i love it so much and i love it when it's something i could never do and you get to experience people doing that so she's arguably most known for her play called Thanksgiving Play, which when it made its Broadway debut in 2023 this year, it had already been put on and produced quite another, quite a lot of other spots, but it was on Broadway this year. It made her the first known Native American playwright to have a play produced on Broadway ever. Wow. Is, yeah, right? In 2023. Um. And it's also one of the top 10 most produced plays in the U.S. So that, right, is super notable because I'm sure Hamilton is like number one, right? I would want to know what the number one one is, but Thanksgiving play is in the top 10 most produced plays in the U.S. That includes, right, professional productions, community productions, high school productions across the board. 
she has kind of come on as a consultant for how we can talk about like indigeneity, especially in North America in interesting ways. And so they were talking to her kind of for Thanksgiving about Thanksgiving. One of the things she was a consultant on was the um, Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. And like, how do we make that less problematic? And so the first thing she said was like, pilgrims are out, no pilgrims at all. And they're like, but, but Tom Turkey. And if you don't know, Tom Turkey is the giant bird. He opens the parade. He's dressed like a pilgrim. And she's like, put him in a bow tie and a hat. Yeah. Now he's fancy. It's easy. And so they did. And she's like, no one died. We also did a land acknowledgement at the Macy's Day Parade. No one died. Um, And so, yeah, that was the change. Just change what Tom Turkey is wearing. But what I really, really loved hearing about, and again, I'm going to link this entire NPR story, but she came on, they recently have redone Peter Pan the musical for Broadway and it's about to go on tour so this was also kind of a promotion for Peter Pan going on tour I looked and it's not going to be at the Fox which I'm sad about so it was interesting she said there were two main things she was brought on once again to say how do we deal with the like the Indian problem on this too right it's a huge issue the way that like tiger lily and the the indians in it are are it's it's a problem it's awful yeah and then the other thing was that it was a huge group of writers and the other task they had was to make it i think under two hours with only one intermission and the original peter pan is very long and has two intermissions so a lot had to get cut basically what she said about this and i'm going to directly two quotes of hers i'm going to stop in the middle um she says neverland is a magical place and it's a place where no one ever grows old it's a place of fairies and pirates and dancing animals and things and so just the idea of indigenous or traditionally native american people like tiger lily and her tribe being there is already a problem yeah we're real people why are we in neverland so that was the first issue so if you were tasked michelle because i was sitting there thinking like "Ooh, how would you how would you fix that problem in Peter Pan. Do you have any like thoughts? Do you have yeah. any thoughts on like I don't, how you I mean, fix that? Because you can't just take it all out. You can't just take it all out. No. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean, like, is erasure isn't an answer to the problem either, right? Like you still want right. representation and you still want space for indigenous actors and like indigenous stories. I don't know. I don't know. Did you have um, an answer? And one of the considerations that I, <clears throat> I didn't really have a good answer. I Because my first thought was like, take it all out was my first thought. And I was like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. But it just, I loved Peter Pan as a kid, um, the Broadway made for television. And just thinking to like, as as Larissa Fasthorst also brought up, like there's not even lines. They're just saying nonsense yeah. most of the time, right? Um, And so the first thing, that she kept in mind was that if this is as especially right someone who's done a play that's one of the most produced plays in america she's like ideally i would want this to be all indigenous actors but i know that a lot of places that are going to put this on don't have enough indigenous people so how do i make this to where it can be entirely indigenous peoples but that if it's not they're not doing like problematic taking on of a cultural appropriation 
And so I'm going to read again from her. So what I chose to do with this play is I took Tiger Lily and I kept her name because it's iconic and beloved. And she's now the leader of a tribe of people. But each of those people is the last of an extinct culture somewhere in the world. So they came here to Neverland because they never grow old so they can preserve their culture in a place where they're safe and hope that one day they can return to this world and bring their culture with them. And so I use the magic of Neverland as a positive for these people as somewhere where they can survive and preserve and grow and keep their culture going until they find another home for it. Are they real cultures? Like, did she name what the culture, like... She did not. That I don't okay. know if they're okay. real cultures or made up cultures. Yeah, that's a beautiful idea. Isn't that a great idea? Wow. Just to take that, the problem of like Neverlands for fake people and say, well, no, it's a place where people never grow old so it can be protective. Yeah. It was just so cool to me. And it was something I never in a million years would, and it would keeps- think of. It keeps, I mean, yeah, like, because Tiger Lily is a character who actually gets some development. It's still problematic in the original, but at least, but the other ones are truly not even characters, right? Like, they're just, right. yeah, so. Just background, yeah. Yeah, so. that's, I would not, like, if I saw that Peter Pan was going to be around, like, I wouldn't seek out trying to see it, but now I'm really interested in seeing it, so. Yeah, same. Okay, should we go to research? We should. <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm excited. I don't know what exactly that affect means, but it's, I'm ready for it. It's just, I, I don't know how to, like, I have lots of pieces and I'm trying to figure out how to put them together. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where to start. I think I'm going to start with this. I think I'm just, I'm going to pull up a, I'm going to pull up an image for you again to look at. Aren't these this pretty? This is the audiovisual episode. That's yeah. beautiful. So this is the Atlas of Emotions, which is a website that tries to uh, help understand the emotional response um, and help people like deal with their emotional responses and understand the connections between them so they are saying there are five universal emotions that all humans no matter where or how we were raised have in common the movement of the shapes reflects the fluid nature of the emotions the way their strength and frequency varies from moment to moment select an emotion to learn more and on the screen there are these floating ringed orbs there is like an orangish yellow one labeled enjoyment a blue one labeled sadness, a red one labeled anger, a green one labeled disgust, and a purple one labeled fear, which you might recognize as the colors and names of the characters from Inside Out. Um, like, it's joy, well, sadness. yeah, because yeah, that comes yeah. from Paul Ekman. But why have they changed joy to enjoyment? That's so weird to me. Do you find that oh. weird? That instead of happiness or joy, it With is enjoyment. enjoyment. Because we, you and I have talked a lot about how, like, saying I want to be happy is not yeah. a goal that, like, you or I, I don't want to say happiness is not achievable. Um, it's not achievable for us in the way that that's think what it we is... seek out as, like, yeah. a goal yeah. or what we're driving towards. I don't think happiness it is. Happiness can happen yeah. at any moment, but yeah. it's not an end. Yeah. It is 
it's something can be possible without being achievable. I think achievable implies a certain level of intentionality and steps you can take to get there. Whereas I think happiness is more happenstance. Like it might it's occur, a, but yeah. yeah, you can't seek it yeah. out, which I mean, I think in that way, it kind of fits with these. Cause like, I don't think, I mean, you could go to like a haunted house but you can't seek out fear, right? You can try to put yourself in a position where fear is likely to happen, but like it's really difficult to seek out fear or it's difficult to seek out disgust or seek out anger or seek out sadness. So in this way, I think happiness is better fit here than in a lot of times that we talk about it or enjoyment. Because enjoyment, I can go buy an ice cream. Yeah. Well, so the reason that I got to this is because I... I'm going to work backwards from what actually sparked this for me. So I saw something that I'm going to pull up at the end because I want to uh, make you have to <laughs> to guess some stuff about it. Um, but oh, it, no. This yes. is also bringing me back to, um, what was it? When we were all together in, uh, we went on a trip with our families to North Asheville, North Carolina, and we all had to take some sort of like, how good are you at emotions test where you only looked at people's eyes and said, what are they feeling? Yes. I think you lost. Yeah, no, I'm won. very, I'm very bad at that. Like, I'm just, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not particularly good at it, which is actually, that's going to tie back in. We're, we're going to yeah. come full circle to that. All right. Cool. So um, it did make me think about this. So this, I found this when I was looking at like, well, what are the emotions, right? And so this is this is saying there are five universal ones. And again, just to remind everybody what the, they're saying they are, is fear, enjoyment, which I think I would rather call it joy. I like so fear, joy, sadness, anger, and disgust. That those are the five universal emotions that all humans, no matter where or how they were raised, have in common. That is the claim here. And that made me think about a tool that I have used in my therapy sessions many times, and it is this emotions wheel. Have you seen this before? No. Okay. I love an intense wheel. I love it. I love this wheel. Um, I use it all the time in therapy because I, if I can find words for something, I can deal with, I can deal with it. Like I, like I just, I need language. Language is how I process information. Language is how I make sense of things. And so I need language to be able to describe everything. And so when it's I am at- so interesting to me, I've been teaching, um, I've been back to teaching after a long time and I teach art and we constantly, everyone in the room is like, oh, I love art because it is beyond language. And everyone has been talking about how much we love things that are beyond language and like affect. And you would be like, no, no, like, I hate that this. is That is non-existent to me. Yeah. Well, and I, and you know, we've talked in here about how like I have aphantasia and don't have any images in my mind. So I feel like those things are probably yeah. related. Like the oh, way absolutely. that I relate to the world is very, very verbal. Um, and so, but what happens is, is I'll be feeling something that is a source of frustration for me and I'll be trying to like make sense of it. But if I can't put it into language, I can't make sense of it. And so I, we will frequently pull out this wheel and my therapist will be like, okay, well, let's figure out what you're feeling. And so um, I'm going to describe the wheel to you here. It has more than five in the center. It has surprised bad, which I don't like, I don't know what that, I guess if you don't know what, if it's not any you're of the like, other ones, but it's not good. Seems you're like, so helpful though, I'm just like, all the center wheel things are things that like, when you are just like, ah, you can be like, I just feel bad. I just yeah. feel, I guess surprised also seems like maybe just like stimulated. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and yeah. and so if you look at how they, they spoke outwards. So yeah. So it's surprised, bad, 
fearful, angry, disgusted, sad, and happy. So there are seven here and they start out in just like a circle in the middle and then they spiral out into different sizes of a second wheel that are versions of those. So like for happy, for instance, I won't read them all to you, but for a happy, they includes like playful or it includes accepted or optimistic. And for angry, it includes humiliated or distant. For disgusted, you could feel awful or repelled. For sad, you could feel guilty or vulnerable. For surprised, you could feel amazed or startled. For bad, you could feel bored or tired. And then I can usually, I'm like, eh, none of those are quite right. Usually it's the third level that really helps me because each of those things are then split into two. So like if, if you're feeling happy and you're feeling happy because you are feeling content, well, maybe you're feeling free or maybe you're feeling joyful. If you're feeling sad and you're feeling sad because you're lonely, well, maybe you're feeling lonely because you're isolated or maybe you're feeling lonely because you're abandoned. And so yeah. I find this incredibly helpful to be able to figure out like, what am I feeling? And like in the most recent case where I use this, I was feeling um, really overwhelmed and so I, I got there by being like, you know, I keep feeling this frustration and I'm like, it's not quite anger what's happening and overwhelmed is here under fearful, anxious, and then overwhelmed. And like, it's in the same, it's like right next to worried. And I don't, it just really helped me kind of think through like, oh yeah, that's what I'm feeling like. And so then I could start talking about solutions because I'm a very solutions-based person. And I'm like, okay, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, then something has to go, right? Like I have to, I have to unload it's something. It's so, so helpful because yeah, the yeah. outer wheel does all, not entirely, but seems quite like solution oriented. Yes. Where you, where if you're like, I'm angry, there's nothing you can do. Right. With that. I'm angry. What do I do with it? But if you're angry because you're humiliated, because you're feeling disrespected, well, then you probably need to set some boundaries, right? You probably yeah, need to, you know, like, yeah. And provoked or yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I can't, this is this, I'm just fascinated by this. I've never seen it. Yeah. So um, again, I'm working backwards to how I got here, but I've used this wheel several, several times, but never really thought about where it came from or what it meant. I was just like, yeah, this is helpful. I'll use it. Um, so I did some research into where, and I don't know where this specific wheel came from. And this one is my favorite, but I did do research into a uh, psychologist, um, a researcher of emotions named Robert Pluchik. Have you heard of this this person? I don't think I have. So um, Robert Pluchik was, uh, he died in 2006. He was a professor. He had a PhD and a psychologist. Um, and he co-authored more than 260 articles. Um, and his big theory of emotion that he's famous for um, is a psychoevolutionary theory. And he says that basic emotions are related to an evolutionary level, um, that they connect different species, that it's not, it's not just human. Um, and he says that there's a small number of basic primary prototype emotions, and then they can be mixed together to create derivative states and occur as different combinations and compounds of the primary emotions, much like a traditional color wheel where you would mix different colors to get like secondary colors and then different shades of those, right? Um, and so he really worked to create this sort of color wheel style emotional theory, um, a wheel of emotions. So he identified eight inferred cognitions, which is like the, the thing that, so he says there's a stimulus event and then 
cognitively, there is an inference because of that event. Then you have a feeling in response to that cognition, which results in a behavior, which then has an effect. So he says, for instance, that if your stimulus is a threat, so let's say that you are, you know, being hunted by something, your cognition says this is danger. So you feel fear. So you run away. And the effect is that you feel protected. And once you feel protected, you no longer feel fear. So you stop running away. So it's a feedback loop. Um, so his eight that he identified were fear, anger, joy, sadness, acceptance, disgust, anticipation, and surprise. Those were the eight that he identified as the core that everything else could be mapped as some sort of combination of. And he has uh, stimulus events, inferred cognition, and behavior and effects for all of those. And I read this article that he wrote in 2001 for um, American Scientist. And I just, it was just really interesting. I don't know. This is not my field. So obviously this article is from 2001. I would imagine that there has been new research into like what emotions mean and how they work since then. So I am not presenting this to you as the most up-to-date research. But um, he was saying in here that he was looking at the history of, of like trying to define emotions and that we have a really hard time doing it, that there were over 90 definitions of emotion proposed just in the 20th century alone um, from like a professional, like not just like, you know, right. individual people, but like professional organizations trying to say this is what emotion means. There were over 90 of them. Um, and of course, that was all compounded by the different movements in psychology that happened, like the behavioralist movement that said that the only thing that we can measure is behavior. That's the only objective truth for psychology. And then the psychoanalyst who said that emotions could be repressed. Um, and then he says here, finally, language itself introduces ambiguity and does not make it easy to describe mixed emotions in an unequivocal way. We often resort to metaphor. And I'm just really interested in that because like metaphor is one of my most powerful thinking tools. So I am like resort to metaphor. I start with metaphor. What are you talking about? Like, um, <laughs> And he says, how then can emotion be studied and understood? I'm like, clearly through metaphor. Like you already figured it out. What's the problem? Um, but <laughs> like, obviously like all of art and literature is right, like, what, right. come on. we've got this one already, <laughs> but, but apparently that was not a sufficient answer for his field. So um, okay. he says that you can view emotions through this evolutionary theory that provides a framework that shows the connectedness of living things. And um, so he says that emotion can be viewed in a structural model tied to adaptation. And so we're constantly trying to adapt to survive, like these are survival mechanisms and that all of our emotions can be tied to that. So like he says, for instance, fear and anxiety in people closely parallel to the state of heightened arousal of an animal who senses a predator or a threat. And we've, I think we've all kind of heard these things before, like, oh, you feel anxiety because that had an evolutionary purpose to keep you safe on the savanna or whatever, right? Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, that I was, was not reading i was reading about my can't stand up good disease and because my doctor was like oh there's like a um there's an international group so you can better understand it and the, the website was so stupid it was like here's salty snack recipes <laughs> but there was a journal paper that was trying to make an evolutionary link for why some people can't stand up good. And they were like, it was like, um, it's an offshoot of that like fight or flight, but that if if um, you get too stressed, 
it's just you're such a passive beta are you person a, are you a fainting you goat out. I'm a, i am a human evolutionary fainting goat exactly that if something scary happens or if someone else just gets too aggressive or if there's lots of death around you you just pass out you're like i'm dead too can't bother me <laughs> i think I don't always buy into that, but like I feel like that tracks from my personality. <laughs> so are you are you, you're 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 actually built for the super soldiers once they start taking over, you're like, never no. I never. am. <laughs> don't want to be underwater for five hours. <laughs> Just tip on over. Sorry. Please continue. All right. So basically his argument is emotion is not just internal. It's not just about feeling that it has a specific impact on our behavior so that we can get a particular outcome, right? So that we can either stop feeling something or feel more of it and that that has an evolutionary basis. Um, And so I'm just checking my notes to make sure that I'm not missing any super important things. I mean, obviously I am because I, this is not my field and I'm just paraphrasing it quickly but um so he goes through these things like the feeling states again that that he names fear anger joy sadness acceptance disgust expectation and surprise and i really like the cognitive links to them so like fear comes from your brain telling you danger and anger comes from your fear telling you enemy and joy tells comes from your your brain telling you possess which is really interesting to me in light of Ooh, our conversations yeah. about about joy. Um, yeah, I I don't know that I have I have other things to do, including making you do something silly here in a minute. So I don't want to go too far on that tangent. But it but it has sparked some. It's planted some seeds. Sadness comes from your brain saying abandonment. Acceptance comes from your brain saying friend. Aw. 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 Um, disgust comes from your brain saying poison. <laughs> Expectation yeah. comes from your brain saying examine. And surprise comes from your brain saying, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think it should have just been what? <laughs> so, what? <laughs> I, just, I just had an instant flash. And again, talking about different brains that I had an instant visual flash in my brain of a surprise party. Everyone's like, surprise. And they're like, what is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> what is What's it? happening? So this is, I'm going to share the screen again so that you can see the color chart that he created for this. Um, that he envisions it happening like a cone. So it's like these levels that come out. Um, so he puts his eight in the middle um, and then kind of builds them out with like vigilance to anticipation to interest uh terror fear apprehension admiration trust acceptance and that's more about level of intensity than it is um it's not quite the same as the one that i'm using right where it's like different shades of it right like it's more about you know how deeply are you experiencing it but the other thing that i wanted to pull out from this article is that he has these interesting comments about personality and emotions and he says that you know there's been like pushback on this to say don't conflate your emotional response with your personality but he he says pretty directly um let me find the exact quote he says often people are able to measure both emotional states and personality traits using the same checklist of adjectives with a simple change in instructions if you're asked to measure what you're feeling now 
then you're reporting on your emotional state. But if you're asked to report on how you usually feel, you're reporting on your personality traits. So he's saying like, you might feel gloomy right now because something sad happened, or you might feel gloomy all the time because that's part of your personality. And so I thought that was interesting as well, because I've only ever used that chart to kind of map when something is feeling off. But I also think it might be a useful exercise for me to be like, well, what do I normally feel like? Because there's an argument here that all of your emotional responses are about like trying to get back to some sort of homeostasis. And I'm like, so, okay, what is my homeostasis? Like, what am I trying to get back to? Yeah. So the reason that I researched all of this is because I came across a Facebook post that I'm not going to show you yet because I'm going to make you uh, participate in it. Um, So this Facebook post was posted in a neurodivergent group I'm in. Um, I have been learning more and more about neurodivergence. And as you mentioned, when we did like that test, I was really, really bad at being able to tell like what people's faces mean. Yeah. Um, and so this group was posted there. It's like a comic that someone drew of um, like different facial expressions and how if you mix them together, they, they get another emotion. And so, and it's showing the different faces and then like showing what they look like when they mix together. So even though people can't see you just for my own pleasure, I'm going to ask you to make the face that you think <laughs> these would look like. And then, okay, then I'm going to ask you what yeah. you think the emotion of mixing those together would be. So, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. The first one is anger. Oh yeah. That looks really like that face. Yeah. The next one is disgust. Yeah, no, you're nailing it. Two for two. Um, so what do you think happens if you anger plus disgust equals what? No, oh, is this, sorry to complicate things. For my direction, my motivation here. Is this like yellow and blue equals green? Yeah. Or is it like yeah. I'm angry that I'm disgusted? No, yellow and blue equals green. If you okay. are angry okay. and disgusted, what are you? Yeah, what would you call that? <laughs> oh, what I, oh, you don't want me to make the face. Um, if you're angry and disgusted, you're. If you're angry and disgusted, you are full of hate. You're a hateful person. I mean, it's outrage. I think that that's fair. I okay. think that fits. Yeah, yeah. Um, my my brain went to some sort of intolerance. Yeah. Here's here's a fun one. If you're angry and joyful what are you it's like you're undergoing some sort of psychosis um cruelty angry and joyful yeah <gasps> yes oh wow that makes sense you're very good at this um well you answered that i could go if you well i have the answers <laughs> okay that, that does help sometimes if, okay if you're feeling disgust and fear disgust and fear together i no, I'm not good at this. You've seen a dead body. I don't know. Horror. 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 
these are all so obvious once we say them. Oh, I my gosh. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm uh, prompting this exercise and not participating in it. So um, some of these are just weird. Like some of those, I'm like, those aren't words that people use to describe how they feel. But um, yeah, so I'll, I'll show you the whole thing now so that you can look and see if there's any that you find particularly interesting. Thank you for humoring me. Thank you. I like participating. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I like how disgust plus surprise is you ate it? <laughs> Sadness and surprise is disappointment. That makes a lot of sense. Joy and sadness is faint hope. That just broke my heart. And look at the face. Oh, look at I the little eyes maybe. of faint hope. Like maybe, maybe somewhere out there, something will save us from the super soldiers. Fear and joy, desperation. <laughs> you ate it. Wow, that's fascinating. Wow. So yeah, so this is where my research started, but I thought if I started with this, it wouldn't be nearly as fun. So no, I, the, what a what a what a roller coaster ride of emotion. Hello. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. No, that was so cool. And I need that wheel. I'm I assume we'll have the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'll gonna, send like, it. Print that out and tape it to some cardboard and have it it's next to me. Very helpful. Like very, very helpful. Instead of just laying on the floor, I'll be like, like oh, I feel what bad. is that feeling? Yeah. 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 Why do I feel bad? No, there already I can feel there's something to it, right? But let's like, how many times have you like had a headache? And if you're like, if I just knew why I had the headache, the headache would not bother me. No, there are there are research studies that say that if you like name the pain you are feeling and like, oh, this is a pinching pain in my left hand that you will, even if you won't stop feeling the pain, you feel it less because you have attended to it, right? You have, you've told your brain like, yeah, okay, I get it. I process it. I understand. And that is a big part of why we feel pain. People building super soldiers. Take note. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power (laughs) and and control. Uh, Okay. Nope. Okay. Moving on. Okay. So my research comes from last week we talked about crash a crush train wreck and you michelle said i wonder where the phrase it's like a train wreck i can't look away came from and that was my research it was so much harder than i thought it would be to find this i even cheated and got the help of my of my husband who's also an academic that's not cheating that's research using your actually yeah resources using my resources um and between the two of us, we got close. And thank you to him because it was it's a lot better now. But at least I can make some inferrals about what I think. I can say what I think the origins are. But there was no just clear cut. Here's where it comes from, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So it's like a train wreck. I can't look away. Where does that phrase come from? First off the bat. I went to my old standby, my favorite Reddit. And I just want to say thank you to the user Lily Miss, who says, 
people say this often, but not many people have actually seen a train wreck. And if they had actually had the opportunity to watch a train wreck, there's no guarantee they wouldn't want to look away. Well, okay, fine. But that's not helpful. And then everyone just got in a fight about whether you would or would not look away from a train wreck. Okay, it's not what this is about. Um, So Merriam-Webster says train wreck, just the meaning train wreck, like it is a train wreck without the second half of that, was first used in 1874. What I, and I, I thought, oh, that seems very late, train wreck. Because I'm assuming, you know, from when trains were first used, there were probably a lot of train wrecks. So why didn't they say train wreck? So then I decided to try to find when was the first ever train wreck. Um, It was very hard because I could find when the first ever train wreck in certain countries were. The UK arguably had the first like active rail race system. But from what I could find, the first reported, recorded ever train wreck was in July 25, 1832 in the U.S. You said the word train wreck is in Merriam Dictionary in 1870-something? The first use of train wreck was in 1875. So 40 years after the actual train train wreck. wreck. Okay. Yes. And they instead said railroad accident. Okay. And that's why. They just weren't saying train wreck. The common parlance was railroad accident. But then the first reporting about a train wreck that said train wreck was in 1874. I did find that anachronistically train wreck, again, not our phrase, it's like a train wreck, I can't look away, but anachronistically train wreck, like it's like a train wreck, just to mean it is a mess, it is bad, um, was in the archives of the Amer- the mailing list of the American Dialect Society, this is where this information comes from, that in 2005, linguist Ben Zimmer posted an excerpt from a 1953 Washington Post article. So that's a lot to say that the first time train wreck as tend to mean it's a mess was used was in 1953 in a Washington Post article um, about a TV show. And that was just meant to mean a mess. It was a bad review of a television show. Funnily enough, the Merriam-Webster online page today uses the TV show and just like that as an example of a train wreck. So burn. Um, so I kept just looking for. Which, when... That's interesting with the, that you can't look away, that it has these TV reference. I don't know. Yeah. It feels like something. No, yeah. Right. There's something that it comes up in pop culture. Absolutely. Um, and then. And again, I'm going to get way too close to my computer because I actually then did some like JSTOR referencing to try to find old, um, when it comes up first in print in old newspapers and journals. So we have Judy, the London Serio Comic Journal, which I think is a play on Punch and Judy. This is from 1885. So again, just a quick timeline. First ever ever train wreck I can find is 1832. We don't use the term until 1874. And then a decade later, this is coming up in a comic journal from London. And it says 
a Scotch farmer who pleaded guilty to the charge of having maliciously placed two bags, each containing a hundred weight of iron railway spikes on the line of the Calodian Railway near, near the Drumleth station, had been sentenced to four months imprisonment only. He fairly admitted his object was to upset a train. On the same day, in another court, we find a man receiving the same sentence for picking a pocket. The punishment inflicted on the latter scamp was no doubt well-earned, but in comparison to the two offenses, the train wrecker richly deserved to be flogged first and hanged afterwards. Train wrecking and attempts at train wrecking are the most diabolical outrages animals in human form perpetuate. Yeah, this was like, whoa. And I guess in some ways, right, that that's like, that's ma- that's mass murder. I mean, yeah, it's a, form. it's like a terroristic attack, right? And it also has... It makes me feel like when we talk about um, D.B. Cooper, right? Yeah. When we're like, society goes a certain way until someone's just like, no, I don't have to do this. So it's like the first person to think that I'm going to like cause this Derail mass Derail this train, through, yeah. Like, would be pretty horrifying. Would be like, and what? I mean, I think there's something really horrifying about like... I think of how to put this like mass transit has always had kind of this promise of community progress right like mass transit and trains in particular connect people connect communities shorten the distances between us and so the fact that somebody can come and terrorize that like I mean think of like with like the planes and the even like I mean, it's not exactly the same as transit, but like the people who who do terroristic acts at like bike races and things, right? Like this this idea of people have come together in this space with this like transport to then disrupt that is is just a really particularly cruel kind of act. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I just didn't want to continue on right after that because it felt really heavy. But um, moving on, then in 1915, I found in Boy's Life, which is the Boy Scouts magazine, um, this discussion, which it's a fictional story. It's a short story that someone published in Boy's Life, the Boy Scout magazine. And it basically says, I'll just, I'm not going to read much of the story. So pay his own may, pay his own way meant what? It meant paying his bills. How could he be sure of being able to pay his bills if he didn't save his money? Donald's breath trembled in a sigh, a train wreck, and a fellow jumping off a bridge. I'll bet it's a fine show, he said wistfully. The house had quieted. Um, I could not quite understand what that was referring to until I found out that it is referencing a little-known play which is about a train wreck, about a famous train wreck. And it's, again, kind of like he's thinking of the worst things that could happen, but in this play, someone does jump off a bridge and there is a train wreck. And so because of that, I'm like, oh, well, is it because of the specificity of the train wreck in this play, which I'm not revealing yet for a reason, I thought, oh, maybe that could be where this phrase comes from. And so I looked into it and we're getting there. I did just really quickly want to say that 
I tried to find the origin of like rubbernecking because how do we get to that second half, right? Of yeah. it's like a train wreck. I couldn't I look, can't away. look away. And a phrase for that, right? When you go by a car crash and look is called rubbernecking. Um, that was pretty easy. It originated in the late 1800s to describe the act of turning and stretching the neck to eavesdrop. Um, basta. But this isn't quite the same. So the closest thing I could come to was this play that I learned about in the Boy Scouts of America, 1915. Um, I am going to ask you, Michelle, don't you like that we never plan this in advance, but this week's theme is just like making each other watch videos the whole time. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to straight up, and you don't have to talk over it if you want to, you can. But instead of me reporting all this information to you, I'm just going to have you play this news clip that happened on the 100th anniversary of this particular train crash. All right, here we go. Oh, this, this, oh, okay. Sorry, I'm just reading the headline. <laughs> I won't yeah. give it away. Coming Friday yeah. marks 100 years since one of the country's most deadly train crashes. It happened in Hammond, Indiana on a day when the circus was coming to town. Eyewitness News reporter Paul Meinke takes us back to that day a century ago. They have slept here for 100 years. Some were known only by nickname, Baldy, Four Horse Driver, but most of the grave markers here are labeled unknown male or unknown female. Each has a number. This is Showman's Rest, where a mass burial plot contains the remains of 56 performers and roustabouts of the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus. Their circus train had come to a stop on these tracks in Hammond. Most of the train had switched to a different track, but four sleeper cars sat on the main line. It was June 22, 1918, about 4 a.m., everyone was asleep, when an empty troop train came barreling at them from behind, upwards of 30 miles an hour. Its engineer had fallen asleep at the throttle. When the troop train engine hit, it destroyed the caboose totally. They never found the guy that was in the caboose. It was just destroyed and the, the troop train just kept going on and on and on. The crash was so loud a neighbor said he thought the steel mills had blown up. Those who weren't killed on impact were buried in the debris of cars made entirely of wood. It became an inferno. The kerosene lamps that used to light the coaches is spread over the lumber and started the fire. A lot of people were trapped. They couldn't get out. Uh, they burned it out. 86 souls perished, a circus strongman, a clown's wife and sons among them. The engineer of the troop train was charged with manslaughter, but after a mistrial, those charges were dropped. He had missed signals and flares telling him to stop. You're helpless. What could they do? They, they tried to signal the, the oncoming train, and there was no response, and there wasn't even a slowdown. The Hagenbeck Wallace circus train wreck remains one of the worst rail disasters in U.S. history. The late Warren Reeder was a five-year-old Hammond boy back in 1918, eager, like so many others, to see the circus. Half a century later, he provided a window to history with his book, No Performances Today which has just been reprinted by the Hammond Historical Society. This is sacred ground. Shortly before the tragedy, the Showman's League of America bought a tract of land at Woodlawn Cemetery. Little did its members know that the first burials would be en masse. The League recently unveiled this new marker dedicated to the unnamed, the unclaimed, the unrecognizable. Remarkably, 
Three days after so many died a century ago, the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus, with borrowed acts from other circuses, put on a performance in Beloit. What do they miss? Two performances? Yeah, two performances is all they miss because others, we, we work with our own, we, we stay together. So they help them because the show must go on. No animals died in the wreck, but Showman's Rest will always be marked by its elephant statues, their trunks lowered forever in mourning for those who died 100 years ago. Paul Meinke, ABC7 Eyewitness News. Hey, if you like. So, sorry to take your lovely discussion of the circus and twist it up into a violent horror. Um, but I guess we do have a circus theme going today, huh? Yeah. So, that's the Hammond Circuit train wreck of 1918. And as you heard, it was especially bad because all of the train cars were made of wood and it was lit with oil lamps. So, when that accident happened, it was just a huge fire and explosion. Um, but it was a circus train wreck. And I feel like the visual imagination reels and that's hard to not look at. It's yeah. a circus. You want to go look at a circus and it's a train wreck involving a circus. And so I don't have any other um, research or facts to hold this together. But I feel like this is an important moment for the it's like a train wreck. You can't look away because the whole town heard it. They came out right to see what was happening. And then. As they said in that too, like two days later, they still had a performance. Very, well, then the show must go on, origins of that. And I don't think this is what this phrase is intended to mean, but I think it's kind of beautiful to think about the unveiling of this monument and the fact that they made sure to have grave markers that the, I can't look away takes on a different meaning. Like it takes on the meaning of like, you know, don't forget your history, forget. Honor, yeah. honor the people who were here. Yeah. Which with the discussion of the Peter Pan, um, and the yeah. it's just I don't it's just really beautiful, like yeah. to it's, not allow to not allow history to die, right? Um, the only other thing is that there is um a professor at Wake Forest University, Eric G. Wilson, who wrote a book called Everyone Loves a Good Train Wreck, and um. It's uh I didn't have time to read the whole book, but it's mainly uh exploration of like dark tourism and why do people go to certain places. There was a lot of like him going to serial killer museums and saying, why do we want to look at these things? But does discuss it didn't give me an origin of the term, but discusses this concept of something so horrible we can't look away from it. And um he says, okay, so he says, um, quote. That is, we're curious about death and suffering because we want truth. We all die. Beauty, we had better appreciate people and plants and animals while they last. And goodness, we all suffer. So let's take care of one another. And he says that um, the other big part of this, at least for his book and his argument, is that most of us die under the watchful eyes of the medical industrial complex which largely regards death as failure and that quote, the hospital hides the morbid, the macabre. And so that um, we want, we don't have a lot of experiences where we do get to see death. And that's something that we know will happen to us. It's a way of working through it perhaps. And it is, we are so divorced from it that we have a fascination with it. That makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's pretty basic. 
The only other thing was um, Merriam-Webster, again, did say that it's like a train wreck I can't look away is synonymous with dumpster fire. And dumpster fire is a word that has definitely reached peak popularity these days. And actually, the first time it was used as to mean it's a mess was in 2003 in a review of a remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Bill Muller of the Arizona Republic. More of it coming from like reviews of like TV and movies. That's that's really interesting. Metaphor and stuff. We have so much to thank movie and critics, movie reviewers and critics for. He said that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre redo was the cinematic equivalent of a dumpster fire. Stinky, but insignificant. (laughs) I don't know if a dumpster fire is happening by your house. You might think it's significant. It's pretty significant. Um, also, I learned that dumpster, we call those bins dumpsters. It's a bit like um, calling tissues Kleenex. What's the term for that? You know, when. Oh, when yeah. The, uh, when you like... name Xerox, all of that, because of dumpster dumpsters were a kind of trash can. So we call dumpsters dumpsters because of the dumpster dumpsters. I and, never uh, guessed that. Yeah. That's it. That's my research into train wrecks. I love and that research. Fires. I love all the little frills and the and the and the roller coaster of emotions. I had many different faces. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I as soon as you mentioned the circus at the top of the podcast, I was like, oh, oh no. Oh, oh. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> so should we wrap up? I feel like that's a good entry point. Yeah. Yeah, we should wrap up. Okay. So my weird thing circus oh sorry yeah. we gotta yeah oh, yeah go yeah sorry recap it. um yes my weird recap. thing was hair hanging and how it isn't an illusion she's actually hanging from her hair my weird thing uh, the very depressing conference talk on bionic super soldiers and i guess i did talk about like my can't stand up good disease so i'll allow that into the discussion yeah, yeah. Up. um my pop culture thing was dog dancing because i refuse to call it <sighs> You know what is it heel work to music heel it was dog dancing um because what if you had to call dancing something else even in humans it would be heel work to music body work to music um my pop culture thing was larissa fast horse and just in just really being impressed by people who are very good at what they do my research thing was um, emotional wheel charts and how we can name our emotions and mix them together to make new ones. And my research thing was trying to find the origins of it's like a train wreck. I can't look away. And then the Hammond train crash, circus train crash. Yeah. All right. So circus definitely circus is here. Um also like just spectacle i think is is here circus spectacle the end no um well spectacle (laughs) and how spectacle can be used i really liked what you said about i can't look away and how we can change that meaning to how can we make sure people don't look away what like it's like the difference between looking at someone and seeing them like like I can't look away I'm just gawking at you because your pain is so fascinating to me versus 
I see you. I recognize. Uh, oh, and we could tie it into the emotions thing because like, it's yeah. not just surprise. It is friend. What was that with the, you know, acceptance or whatever. So to mix the, to blend the emotional masks to, um, so can, our, can, I, can our fortune cookie just be like little drawn out faces for surprise and acceptance equals and then whatever we want that mask to be. Surprise. Is it is it surprise? Oh, or surprise is it like disgust? Because I'm like maybe it's three it's, of them. Maybe it's like well, it's a math equation. I think we have to say minus disgust, right? Because then that yes. equals acceptance. Yes. So like okay. whatever the face like, for spectacle. So like all plus all minus disgust. Hold on, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull up the wheel chart so that we can look at it together okay. while we do that. I will say while you pull it up, um, the conference on bionic super soldiers, this works in the opposite way, in yes. a really, um subversive, horrifying way, because the lack of spectacle, I kept saying this was a banal everyday yeah. conference. They were playing Grizzly Bear, they were talking about something that we should have been shocked and disgusted about. That they took like, the disgust no one, out when it should have yeah, been in there. They made it just seem so normal. And they just were like actively being like, this is normal. This is fine. Right. Yeah. And so it can be the opposite where you can look away because of the lack of spectacle in these things. So, yeah, let's use our wheel for emotional yeah. math equation. So I think it's something like you've got shocked plus horrified is our norm. Like that's the, that's the bad kind of spectacle, right? Like that's, or, or in the case of the soldiers, the correct kind of spectacle, like that's the response we have to the train wreck, right? Is something like shocked plus horrified. But we want to remove horrified and put in. Or disgust. Yeah. Well, horrified, let's use horrified. Hor yeah. Horrified is a is a branch of disgust. Right. So shock plus horrified. Because shock is a branch of surprise and disgust and horrified is a branch of disgust. So if it's shock plus horrified. And then minus horrified plus what say that last part again it broke up a little bit shocked do we have to have a plus or is it just shocked minus horrified well do you have horrified to begin with because you can oh, be shocked yeah. without being horrified yeah so it's like shocked plus horrified in one box and then in another box, it's like shocked minus horrified. And then in the third box, it's like shocked plus something that's like more, is it inspired or shocked plus? Oh, shock and awe. No. Um... Shock plus respect. What is, because going back to what initiated this, right? Where you're like, where you, there's spectacle and you can see spectacle and be shocked by it and be horrified by it or just be like yeah be morbidly fascinated but 
what I think why we're having such a hard problem is this is just such a human society problem. What is it that turns that into actually really seeing people? Yeah, yeah. Really seeing Th- them. Value. Values on Value. you. That's it. Yeah. Value. Yeah. So we have shock and horrified plus value. Minus horrified. Minus horrified. And then shock and horrified. Let's just do that one. Shock and horrified. Shock plus horrified divided by value equals. I don't know what kind of math we want to do. Equals (laughs) neither of us are particularly mathy people. Yes, mathematicians write in and make this actual thing. So shock plus horrified. Do we want to do plus value or divided by value? Or times value? Or squared by value. No. Um, I think times valued, right? Yeah, times valued. And then all of that in parentheses, and then minus horrified. Minus horrified equals ex friend acceptance friend. I think I think it's just like equals what you should do, right? Like like I don't know that equals that equals it thumbs up <laughs> it it how equals we it. should be living in the world for equals. Equals, equals X. 42. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. You open up this beautiful mind, Goodwill Hunting, ass fortune cookie, and it says shock plus parentheses, parentheses, shock plus horrified times value, close parentheses, minus horrified equals it yes that's, that's what it, it says that's yes. it yes. <laughs> okay okay like <laughs> these are that's my notes trying to oh, get there please draw that out we can put it on a t-shirt <laughs> i know i didn't fully draw it out but we we almost got there <laughs> i want yeah okay no. So I'm going to officially rate it shock plus horrified times value minus horrified equals check mark. Okay, there we go. Excellent. We did it. We did it. You're welcome, everyone. Um, The equation to to life. To life. To, to live it. in a good life. To it. Where's our, do we get a Nobel Peace Prize now? I think so. Or at least a MacArthur Grant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> that is the opposite of that, that clean, simple, genius <laughs> I feel like if there was um, like a sister cousin prize to the MacArthur Genius Grant that was just about like bogging things down and overthinking but in a really smart way then we could have that we might have we might stand a chance yeah the convoluted macarthur prize (laughs) 
the con the mark the MacArthur convoluted genius <laughs> congrats um I'm really glad we we made this together um I want to thank Michelle I want to thank this podcast I want to thank <laughs> train crashes um yeah and snowmen and circuses and snowmen absolutely bird penises all yeah. of it uh, yeah <laughs> Can't do anything. This one's a bird for fetus. bird dicks. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. Oh, send us some grab bags, folks. We obviously need some material. <laughs> Clearly, we need to bounce off other things. I mean, I don't think so. I love this, but we'll just yeah, probably... we'll just keep going. But yeah, you know, you you, you might enjoy it a little more if you sent us some grab yes. bags. Yes. Don't you want to see how we bounce off you? Yeah. They probably don't. That's probably why they don't send us grab bags. They're horrified. (laughs) Remove your horrified. (laughs) Yeah. Minus horrified. Help us. Acceptance, friend. Okay. That's it. We'll see you next fortnight. Bye.